to MGO Radio. Oh, shoot. I'm, I'm <laughs> only supposed to know this. <laughs> what are we? Uh, 8.10. <laughs> uh, I'm Seth Fisher. I got Alex Drain with me. Say hi, Alex. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Brian will be joining us in a bit. Uh, he's got to finish off the Illinois uh, preview. We're doing this early because we all want to get to the Michigan-Minnesota hockey game, even though apparently a bunch of Michigan players are not going to get to the Michigan hockey game. Yeah, uh, not sure they should have played last night, but, uh, you know, show goes on. Right. I kind of wonder if they would have canceled it um, if they if, if they didn't already have the reputation. Yeah. For, for, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Anyway, um, this is Amigo Radio. We want to thank Underground Printing for making this all possible. Underground Printing makes custom apparel such as T-shirts and sweatshirts. It was founded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago. They have three retail locations in Ann Arbor, offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale, ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia, including this hockey shirt. Uh, check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com. Uh, or check out our selection of shirts at the mgoblogstore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, HomeSure Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, which is where we record on Sundays, and Signal Wire, which is where we're recording this right now. So, uh, Illinois. That's where, that, I, I checked, that's who we're playing before Ohio State, right? It, it is. Um, not quite the marquee matchup uh, that it seemed like. <laughs> a few weeks back, but, uh, you know, they're still a solid team. So it, it's definitely a more interesting opponent than I think the last couple of weeks. Well, I mean, compared to where we've had Illinois at the beginning of the season, right? Yeah. And, you know, I was reasonably high on Illinois in the long term entering this year, but I think what they've done this season is really impressive and it bodes well um, for their future under this uh, this new regime. So, uh, should we start with the offense? Offense it is. Uh, okay. They, they look like mini Michigan. <laughs> they are, yeah, there's some similarities. Um, you know, Chase Brown is the star. He did get injured um, against uh, Purdue last week. It sounds like he should be able to play, that it's not like something that's going to put him out for the year or anything, but it is worth wondering to what degree he'll be close to 100%. I did not put much on his injury in the piece and then a lot of people were like the whole comment section was just like he got injured he got injured he got well, injured why didn't you mention that i'm I, like well i i don't i'm not his doctor like i can't really <laughs> say if he's gonna play or not i mean and it's okay if he's worse right it's like you know this is who he is and then if he's right I'm, but i but it is an important part of the equation because he's like a he's got a great cut um and you know that's that's your ankle, right? And it was an ankle injury. If I, if I'm, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's I'm sure it's a concern for them. Uh, but you know, they're they have to go all out because they lost the Purdue game. This is the only chance they still need some help. But this is the only chance they have to win the West now. They need a lot of help at this point. Um, so the thing with with uh, with Illinois, I would say, is and Chase Brown in particular. If he's not 100%, we'll see a different sort of setup because generally speaking, he runs all the time. Mm-hmm. Like he carries between 25, 30, sometimes 35 carries a game. And now if he's not fully 100%, we might have to see a couple guys like Reggie Love, for example, that just don't normally run the ball that much for them. So that is something to keep an eye out if he is not fully at 100% because generally speaking, there aren't enough any other running backs worth talking about on this team. And 
he is the just pillar of this offense because he also plays a role in the receiving game. You know, they build on play action, the passing game, like it just all revolves around him. And uh, one thing to note, he is a guy Michigan has seen before. He was on the 2018 (laughs) Western Michigan team. I believe he had seven carries in that game against Michigan. So, yeah, if if people can remember that Western game was like a complete domination. We were all watching the scoreboard to see if like we could get like some sort of rushing Rutger in there. And then like their last drive, they debuted this freshman and he runs for like 36 yards on two carries. That was him. Yep. (laughs) So uh, he he's the star and. Then the really the other guy to talk about in the skill positions is Isaiah Williams. And this mm-hmm. is another guy Michigan has seen before, but not in the way you might think. He was a quarterback the last time Michigan saw Illinois. He was an athlete. Um, I think he was border, bordering in like the four and a half star range. Like he was going to be top a top 50, 50. recruit. So I, I actually, because I remember following his recruiting story, uh, briefly Michigan was going to be involved and then we weren't. But like, uh, his he's one of those guys that like you're kind of like notified early in the season like okay early in the cycle like watch this guy Michigan yeah. and Ohio State both wanted him at cornerback they're like this guy is an athlete he can just he can move and Ohio State offered him as like a cornerback a receiver whichever one you want like a senior still right and yeah. Illinois was like we'll make you quarterback so he's like well okay I'll be quarterback <laughs> uh and that didn't really pan out for them, but no. And, and I mean, a part of that is that his first year was, was under lovey and like, uh-huh. it just probably wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't the coaching staff in place to make that happen if it was going to happen. And so uh, they pulled the plug on that experiment after his first season, which was back in 2019. He was not the starter in the Michigan, Illinois game in 2019, but he did play a little bit of quarterback in that game. He's now a slot receiver, but they do, a lot to get the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do end arounds with him, screen passes, and he's the guy that they look for on third downs to get them five or seven yards. He's shifty. He's quick. He can get open underneath. And so they like to use the running game to get them in these third and shorts and then try to find Isaiah Williams. And part of that is they just don't like their other receivers very much. And <laughs> part of it is that Tommy DeVito is not a downfield passer really he's better in the the short and intermediate range and that's where Williams is most effective so those things kind of work in in tandem but Williams and Brown uh, those two guys just are are the ones you have to talk about because everybody else in the skill positions are just not ones they look to that often Um, yeah Uh, is there any update on Pat Bryant I know that's the outside receiver the the 6'3 guy who's like their um I guess they're both like Brian Hightower is the other six three guy. Yeah, they have these two tall outside receivers that they just don't throw to very much. I don't I don't have an update on Brian. I haven't been following their injury report too closely. Okay. Um th- those two guys just aren't uh aren't really huge staples of the game plan. And and um you know, DeVito at quarterback, he was a guy that in the in the preseason, in the preseason podcast, I had said that like if Illinois gets better quarterback play, that they could be improved from last season and brian was extremely skeptical of that at the time but this devito is, has this been is improved. You trying to recolor your prediction that nebraska was going to win the big 10 west right? yeah i was i was i was yeah i missed on nebraska but, <laughs> but my illinois right. optimism yeah. was pretty <laughs> solid and and i said look if they get better quarterback play and and brian wasn't buying it at the time yeah. but the truth is they have gotten better quarterback play and that was why they are going to win probably three more games than they did last season 
because last year you have this black hole with with Peters and Arthur Sikowski, and, and DeVito has some flaws, but he's a solid player. And yeah. I watched the, the game against uh, Minnesota where that was his best game of the season. I mean, he was just dealing in that game. He has not been as sharp recently. There are some issues, but this is a guy who's pretty accurate underneath, pretty accurate on the passes they need him to complete to keep these long drives that they like to cobble together going. The deep ball isn't really there. It, it was against Minnesota, but for the most part, that's not really in his arsenal. But he can run a little bit. They give him a couple zone reads. He can scramble and pick up first downs. I mean, he's a competent quarterback. He's not a star, but in this conference, <laughs> with the way right. quarterbacking has been this season, he's easily top half in the conference. And I think he has a case for top five, which is a little bit of a oof for the well, conference. But. He's interesting because, like you said, he doesn't have the downfield throw. And the thing with a lot of these Big Ten quarterbacks we face this year, I'm thinking like Gavin Wimsat, Peyton Thorne, um, yeah. the one pass by Chubba Purdy, who I called Chubba, Chubby, uh, even Connor yeah. Basilak. These guys have like uh, a good downfield throw, and then they just they, they won't throw in inside. This is like the opposite of Peyton Thorne. He's, Tommy DeVito is like a six-year senior. He's confident. He's seen a lot. You know, Syracuse threw the ball a ton, and they were a uh, speed offense, so they – would have like you know eighty plays a game for him to to you know sling the ball around. I feel like he he sees what's underneath, but he's not the guy who's really going to because like this is where Michigan fans have been panicking all year. Like oh no, did DJ Turner break? Uh, and you know the the issue's really been at least from my uh my charting is that like when he goes against super big receivers and they just chuck the ball up and they throw a 50-50 ball he's smaller than the other guy and the other guy comes down with it faster and you know in the big 10 you can get away with some shoving and that helps the bigger player um even though they do have big players and they have a better quarterback uh devito's downfield uh pass is just not accurate and it's not like yep. with jj where like you just you know he's had a couple and it's just you don't have a whole lot of option you know you haven't seen a lot yeah. of them he's just not accurate yeah it's it's not really in the wheelhouse it's not something they are comfortable throwing and that is a reason why this offense in particular they are not built to play from behind like, hmm. if you watched that michigan state illinois game a couple weeks back they haven't trailed in a lot of games for the most part that's something to keep in mind but especially they didn't really this season much trail by two scores and then against msu they find themselves down a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter and there's just no way for them to flip on a switch and start moving at a faster pace they don't get a lot of explosive plays they don't get a lot of of ones that really uh allow you to to speed up i mean they're not they're not a, a an iowa offense in terms of pace but they just want to get you three four yards at a time and it's not conducive to falling behind in game so that's something to just File away. Uh, yeah. The offensive line is fine. It's not a uh, kind of vintage Bielema line at this point, but that's understandable. These guys are all fifth and sixth year players who were under Lovey, and so he's just kind of inherited these guys or their transfers, depending on on which. But uh, Pelcheski, the right tackle, is still around. He was a star. I, I just love him freshman. in run blocking. Yeah, I, he's. Yeah. I mean, he's a mauler. Is what he is. He's just a big, luggy, you know, Andrew Stuber like mauler. And I, you know, if they're running power, and that's what they do, they run like the same kind of offense that Michigan does, where they be pulling tackles, they'll kick out guys, they'll run down G. They have the whole series and a couple other weird things that they pulled up from the old Bielema uh, Wisconsin running game. 
Yeah, and that's something I want to kind of get into. I mean, Bielema runs by far the most diverse set of run concepts we've seen this season from an opponent. And, you know, this was something on the radar of some people I follow on Twitter who are into play design and stuff. Like, even re- early in the year was sort of like, wow, they're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. I mean, they get all kinds of stuff going, you know, all these different guys pulling this direction, pre-snap motion. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I came away from watching the Illinois offense thinking like if Burt can get uh, you know better talent at a few skill positions, but importantly build up that offensive line, this could be a really fun team. And they could be a pretty, pretty good team year in and year out in the Big Ten West because they're doing fun stuff on offense. Like you think, oh, this is just a boring Wisconsin style offense. Like, no, there's some fun stuff going on here. And I, they don't have the horses for it yet, and I don't think that they even are, are that great in run blocking at the moment. I think they get a lot of their rushing game from Chase Brown and his ability to make good cuts and power through contact and all that kind of stuff. But there there's some reasons for optimism here, especially when you consider, and this is something to talk about as we get into the defense, but Illinois, I believe, is 13th in the Big Ten in talent composite. They are right at the bottom. <laughs> so if they can just, you know, pick up one notch in recruiting and, and get a little bit more talented, I think there's a lot here to like. But for the moment, it's an offense that revolves around the running back that isn't very explosive and, and is going to need uh, to to lead in games to to get it done at the moment. But there are there's some hope here on the horizon. Brian, do you have anything to add on the offense? Uh, no, not really. It's, it's going to be... <clears throat> Probably the most interesting matchup that we're we've seen since Penn State in terms of rush defense for Michigan, how they're going to hold up. Um, <clears throat> and before Penn State is like, this is the first time Michigan's faced a good rushing offense since uh, 2021. Um, but if you look at their football outsiders drill down numbers, they're actually not that good. So they're like 80th in line yards or like 90th in stuff rate. And they clearly have a talented back. They're clearly doing a lot of stuff. And so, I mean, my supposition there is that this year two for Brett Bielema, and they're just not up to the task yet mentally. Just, you know, we've been talking about error rate for Michigan's offensive line this year and how low it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's probably happening there is that they're getting a lot of plays where, you know, they're getting five blocks, but someone else makes a mistake, and then you get a, a zero-yard run. So... Um, if they block it up, I think it's going to be a challenge for Michigan, but I also think there's going to be a few instances where you see defensive tackles and defensive ends just flash into the backfield virtually unblocked. All right. Uh, defense, uh, Alex, what'd you see? The, uh, I, we both like the defensive ends where like basically the three, four defensive tackles defensive, you know, whatever you want to call them. They're both 300 pound dudes. Yeah. Uh, they are, it's kind of interesting classifying this defense because against Purdue, they were kind of running with a five-man front where you have the three down linemen that are kind of the classic Wisconsin DTs. And then you have an outside linebacker edge type. And then they would also put an inside linebacker down on the, on the, on the line standing up, which was kind of interesting in that game. But the, the three down linemen are, are kind of the teeth of the defense. Keith Randolph jr. And, uh, Newton on the other side with Calvin Avery in the middle. Those three guys are going to be an interesting matchup to watch. And these are probably the best defensive tackles Michigan has seen since Jacob Slade and then Mustafer when you had that kind of double dip in October. And 
Michigan handled those guys fine. So I kind of presume that they won't have a ton of issues here, even though these guys are pretty good and they've uh, done well to stop most offenses they've seen, which is a point of, of discussion here. You know, Illinois all season, they've had one of the top defenses in the country and they're fourth in SP plus defense. And that is opponent adjusted and on and on, but uh, they didn't play anybody until Purdue last week where you look at the offensive numbers from teams they played. I mean, Virginia was a team they played in the non-con. They're like 119th in SP plus offense. This has not been a, a terribly difficult uh, strength of schedule for opposing offenses. And these defensive tackles are now going up against something that is totally different. That is just another level of play than they have seen this season. And I've kind of gotten to the point that until we see defensive tackles who can give Oluwatimi and Zinter routine problems, it's probably just reasonable to expect, expect that uh, Michigan will be able to handle these guys, even though Purdue and most other teams on the schedule have not been able to. So that's something to watch, obviously. And if Michigan is able to just, you know, double these guys and, you know, shove them way downfield, that's a good sign going into the Ohio State game. But it is something to keep in mind. What Purdue did well on the ground is go outside the tackles. They didn't really have any success against the teeth of that defense, but they brought out the option and, it had some real success. They froze the edge guys on the pitch. And then the linebackers for Illinois just are not fast enough to get out in space and tackle a guy. And and so, I mean, they're going up against Devin Mockaby, who was a walk on himself, and he's able to turn the corner on these guys. So that's something to, to definitely keep in mind in the rushing game. But I did the Purdue game because that's the only decent offense they've played this season and yet that's still not a great comparison for Michigan. I mean, Purdue is a totally different kind of offense. They're not trying to do the same things that Michigan is. They're not a team that can run it very well inside the tackle. So different sort of matchup there than, than I think uh, you'd like to see, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so one thing that struck me when I was going over your FIFA film is that they play a safety at like DJ Dirk in depth. Yeah. Where they, they have a safety who's not on the screen most of the time. And so he's completely not involved in the run game. They have an eight-man front most of the time. And so that was always a problem when Michigan was going up against JT Barrett because when you have a quarterback that's heavily involved in the ground game and you have a safety at that depth, they have a blocker for everybody until you get there. So is this a game where J.J. McCarthy's legs are going to be part of the equation again? You know, it, it would seem to be – a good idea tactically. I mean, this is a very good rush defense. I mean, they've had some issues of late, but those issues are like Devin Mockaby averages 3.8 yards carry or the Michigan State backs combined for 104 on 22 carries. <clears throat> They're not exactly getting gashed. Um, so to remove that free hitter from the box, you got to option him off with, with JJ. And so I kind of thought that they would want to do this anyway because you've got um, – Ohio State next week, and JJ's legs are going to be part of the equation that week for sure. And you probably want to get him back into the flow of carrying the ball five, six, seven times a game. So that's that's going to be one big question. And then Michigan has the personnel to not have to really go after those defensive tackles. You know, they're playing two tight two tight ends most of the time. If Schoonmaker's back, they can put three out there, no problem. And they could put three out there, no problem, I guess, even without Scootmaker because Colson Loveland came in for a ridiculous UFR score uh, <laughs> last weekend. And when you're able to do that, then you're all of a sudden you're going at 
defensive backs. You're going at linebackers. You're going at defensive ends. So Michigan's flexibility here is such that they don't have to go at the, the teeth of the defense, and they have, they have a very good way of neutralizing those defensive tackles. My concern yeah. is that they're like – they, they love to stack the box, and they go against this every day in practice. This is the only team, really, that faces the kind of array of uh, pullers and backfield stuff that goes on in Michigan that, like, you know, bringing tight ends across, they've seen that before. They know how to deal with that. Like, they see that in practice every day. And this is a team that loves to get five guys up on the line of scrimmage. They'll bring their strong safety down. Then, like you said, leave that one last guy high. And they're going to challenge you to either get zero yards or – 20 yards. They're not going to give up four yards per carry. It's not, they don't normally just let you grind down the field like most of Michigan's opponents have this year. And I worry that they're just be, there, there might just be too many times where that safety is met at two yards and it doesn't matter if, you know, we're blocking them up right. Well, I mean, that's what JJ's legs do, right? Right. They take that safety and they put them on JJ and then you don't have an advantage in the box anymore. That was why the quarter stuff that Michigan State used to run was so effective against like Denard Robinson is because both those safeties can hypothetically get added to the run game mm-hmm. and it convert it converts into zero a lot of the time. And this is not a defense that does that. Um, <clears throat> I do think that, you know, until JJ's legs are established as something you have to take care of every time, I think they might have some struggles. Um because, as you mentioned, this is a team that um, does a lot of the things that Michigan does, and will be more prepared than pretty much anyone on the schedule. Yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting test in the run game. The the pass defense for Illinois, Devin Witherspoon, a uh, really good player. Uh, they play a lot of man coverage, and he's been very strong this entire season. He went up against uh, Charlie Jones in the uh, the uh, Purdue game and did a, a fine job. And, you know, Jones's success mostly came when other people besides Witherspoon were were on him. So that might be one where you just kind of avoid it because there's been a lot of injuries at the other corner positions. So opposite Witherspoon at outside corner uh, looks like Xavier Scott, who (laughs) has played significant snaps in one NCAA game. And it was last week and it was not really till the end of the game. He has something like 27 career snaps. That's a little worrying if you're Illinois because you've had injuries to three different guys in the secondary, including the starter there, Tyler Strain. Um, Terrell Jennings and Nickelback is also out. Nicholson, a sort of safety corner mix, is he's out as well. So this is a shorthanded secondary. And their nickel, Quan Martin, had some issues against Purdue, kind of got beat a few times. So I, I think that's an area to look at so you're potentially looking at two of three corner spots as, as potential matchup uh, possibilities not to mention the fact that you have matchups with safeties and linebackers on tight ends that could be very favorable in a man scheme right and that's what Purdue was able to do very well they went to Payne Durham quite a bit Payne Durham's an awesome tight end in this conference and they were just not able to handle him yeah. because he's six foot five 265 and you've got on one clip, a six foot 180 corner trying to tackle him. On another clip, it's a six foot 205 safety. On another clip, it's a linebacker. Like they don't have the height, they don't have the weight. They're just not going to be able to deal with the tight end. And so, if Schoonmaker is back to full strength, I mean, that seems like something you can go to as well uh, to try and, and target. And there, there's just a lot of areas here for Michigan to go after, not to mention the fact that these DBs are not super talented. And again, we have to talk about that with the context of the whole team. And I think it's 
a great testament to Burt's coaching and his whole staff that Devin Witherspoon is an elite Big Ten corner. I believe he's the number one rated corner in PFF's grades in the entire country this year because that guy was not even with a grade on 24-7. Didn't even have <laughs> any stars, didn't have a rating at all. His only offers besides Illinois I could find were UMass and South Alabama. I think App State might have been in there as well. And the other two corners are both guys that were three stars outside the top 1,400 in the composite. These I mean, are... is he a total JT Floyd, or is he like, does he have some speed and they just kind of turn him into a cornerback? Uh, I didn't, I didn't get to see, you know, enough <clears throat> of his reps to get a great sense of what's going on there. But um, certainly the other corners were beaten on double moves, beaten on things like that, that could potentially be weaknesses for permission to exploit. And this is a team that has not played the most talented teams in the conference, right? Illinois has not played Ohio state. They've not played Penn state up to this point. Obviously they haven't played Michigan. So this is a huge step up in the level of athletes they're going to see across from them. And that's something to keep in mind in a man coverage scheme where you can uh, potentially get some big plays. If there's a bus there and your guy just wins out, they have the safety really deep to cover up against that. But Purdue got plenty of 20, 30 yard sort of chunk plays off of that. And I, I kind of noticed their um, the defensive ends are, I guess Seth Coleman was kind of the guy who was getting to the quarterback earlier in the season. He's out. <clears throat> they brought in this guy, Alec. He, he might, he, yeah, he might be back. Coleman okay. might be back uh, for this game, but it is worth noting that they haven't gotten a ton of pressure this year organically, right. but they blitz a lot and that makes up for it. But obviously that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. So one thing that might play into their advantage is the wind's supposed to be 15 to 20 miles an hour. Huh. So, I mean, I don't know if it's really going to hurt Michigan that much because, you know, heavy play action elements, JJ's been at his best to 20, 10 to 20 yards downfield. He can throw things on a line in that, like, we the, the linebackers have vacated the space area and hit some guys. The only thing is, like, it's been strange that the whole year, when Michigan goes play action, those linebackers are not triggering. And I think this is just life in the RPO world at this point. Like, you can see run action, and linebackers are just like, I got to stay back until I know where the ball is. And I think that's actually played into Michigan's hands very well because – you know, before you get those like blitz ball linebackers from Northwestern and Nebraska. And I haven't, I've barely seen that all year. I mean, yeah. Rutgers did it some, but other than that, I mean, we have not seen hell for leather linebackers. And I don't, I don't, I don't so either you got to leave those linebackers back or you're going to get Colson Loveland on your face and Scootmaker and all those guys that Michigan can put across the middle, but they haven't really this year. And I think it's just because other uh, defenses have changed. And that's one reason that Michigan is able to be so successful on the ground. Uh, any other final thoughts? Do we, do we know who's going to be back for Michigan? Or do you expect, you know, I, Hayes came back this week, but I you know we're still um, waiting on Keegan. Barnhart is in for Jones. I don't know what's going on there. Loveland with uh, playing over a schoonmaker. I know all still out. Like, are we a little worried about Michigan being banged up here? Well, I've I have I don't think Edwards is going to play. I don't think Keegan is going to play. Mm-hmm. I think Scrudemaker will be back, and I'm I'm guessing Trente Jones will re-enter the starting lineup because it feels like you know Barnhart's been decent, but I don't think he's done anything that's like okay, this overturns mm-hmm. our pretty clear decision from before the start of the season that Trente Jones is the right tackle. And you're not putting Trente Jones out there for the last series against Nebraska unless he's almost all the way back, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I'd, I'd guess Trent A. Jones is back. A schoonmaker should be back, but I think they're going to miss Edwards and Keegan. Uh, I think we're going to take a break because we're already kind of starting it anyway and get back to the uh, Nebraska game. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com. That's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E lending.com slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me. Kind of an annual tradition. Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to MGO Radio 
Oh, you did better than I did, actually. <laughs> Illinois game, which we have discussed the Illini extensively, and now it's time to take one final look back at the Nebraska game. Uh, I guess we'll start with, with you, Seth, since uh, your answer will probably be, eh, <laughs> what did you learn from the defensive UFR against Chubba Purdy? <laughs> um, oh, Nebraska is so bad. Uh, I think I was mostly concerned about our pass rush, and specifically that Michigan, I think, tried to you know let loose the four man rush and see what they got, which is not something they've really done a whole lot this year, and yeah. they didn't really have much. Um, specifically. One guy would be going for the quarterback and the other guy would just kind of overrun it or one guy would just get locked out by so much that, you know, a pass rush win just meant Purdy could roll out and maybe they under over, uh, sorry, maybe they underestimated Purdy a little bit uh, as far as his running ability. But I think it was just, this is the kind of thing that's been happening to Michigan all year. Mozzie Smith doesn't really change direction well. Uh, sometimes they rush past the quarterback and that kind of puts the contain in a, in a bad spot. And I mean, they've invested bow constrictor in guys, but when they're actually asked to go and pass rush, Mike Morris can get to the quarterback and really that's it. Unless they're blitzing. Yeah. And kind of one of those things where early in the season, you're like, Oh, maybe this isn't the way it is because Michigan plays some very bad offensive lines. And then it does seem like against anyone with like a pulse, it's been inconsistent rush at best uh-huh. um <clears throat> like a major come down from from last year obviously but also just even nebraska's line isn't very good yeah right and we've had a couple of games recently where they've been playing mediocre offensive lines penn state was another one where they didn't really get there and we were like well maybe they're just trying to mush rush because they don't want clifford to get out of the pocket and that may be the case but also, it may be the case that they're doing that because the upside of not doing that is pretty low. So Yeah, and they could get mass rush from the defensive tackles if that's the way they wanted to go, which is they're still trying to do it with the edges. I'm, I mean, I, I don't know. if So I feel like if you've got a defensive tackle who's going to be an interior rusher, he shows it early. Mm-hmm. No, like, like Mohurst showed it early. Ryan Glasgow showed it early. Mason yeah. Graham qualitatively different as an interior pass rusher than either Jenkins or Mossy Smith. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Just a, just a guy who clearly has that ability in a ways that the other guys don't. Well, Mozzie has a different ability. Mozzie is 10 times stronger than anybody he's going against. So he can just forklift a guy into the quarterback's lap, which is yeah. effective, but not the same thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what he should be doing and yeah. that's what he has been doing. And it, is limited, right? Yeah. It's not going to change a game. It's going to maybe make your quarterback a little uncomfortable, and that's kind of like... Well, it but... works if someone's there to collect, and I think this is why yeah. Taylor Upshaw has been playing a lot more than some of the other guys, because Taylor Upshaw is the one guy you never see him overrush the quarterback. You never see him get out of his lane. You never see him give up you know, uh, a, an interior rush lane to, for Purdy to escape, and all the other guys, including Morris, are prone to do that. I imagine there are absolutely no takes about anyone in the secondary. I mean, R.J. Moten missed the tackle, I mean, but whatever. The, I mean, the D.J. Turner thing is there was one more pass, right? So it's like, oh, no. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the uh, Sam got into it with a couple, uh, you know, with the people he talks to about what some of the technique issues are there, and he's leading with the wrong hand or whatever. But I don't – it's not something that I can really tell really that well. 
beyond the scope of this podcast. Right. Linebackers, um, though. Linebackers. Yeah. Linebackers. The the Michael Barrett stuff is real. Like he is he is seeing it. He's moving faster. He's up to two thirty now. I heard so he's not just a little guy anymore. He's not. He's not a hybrid anymore. He's a linebacker now. And it's well. I mean, this will be the test this week, right? Yeah. Because he's getting the Illinois offense, and he's going to be able to get over to that gap or not. And I guess he's practicing against the right offense every week to <laughs> get true. his linebacking skills to the most advanced possible level. Yep. Um. <clears throat> Offensively, there isn't a whole lot more to say because uh, Michigan ran 60 gorillion times in this game, and I think a total of five of them didn't go for at least three yards, and one of those was a touchdown from the two. So <clears throat> the uh, comprehensive ass-kicking on the offensive line was incredible. Um, as I mentioned in the game column, I wondered if we were going to come up with really any minuses. There were a few scattered here and there other than Joel Honigford, but the line graded out at 78%. And usually what we want is we want a two-to-one ratio of positives to negatives, and that's a four-to-one ratio. So, you know, 66% versus 80% doesn't sound like that big of a difference. It is a huge difference. It is an amazing outcome. Olu didn't have a minus. I think Zinter had a half minus, and that was it. Those guys are playing at an All-American level. I mean, we got to dial that back for for Zinter because we got to see that at, mm-hmm. uh, against these two next defenses, I think, and we'll see if he is really all that, but I think he is um, just a, a lot of crushing blocks. And then Colson Loveland came in for like, uh, it was like he was gaming the grading system. <laughs> this is what Eric all did to me last year, man. <laughs> so Michigan has a lot of tight end involvement in their ground game and the blocks, the tight ends are used to are asked to make are almost always blocks that they should be almost always making. So you get a kick out. A kick out is usually a mutually agreed upon thing mm-hmm. between the defense and the offense where the defense is like, he's going to go inside and the offense is like, yep, he's going to go inside. I still give those half points. So if you get a tight end who's kicking someone out 12 times in a game, he's going to get plus six probably. Because um, <clears throat> those are blocks that you do have to make. Uh, so he got a ton of half points in this game, but he also had, I think, four or five full-on plus ones. And he has that catch off his shoot to- tops at the end of the game. And then the out and up, we didn't get a replay of this, which is really frustrating. But <clears throat> he goes from being pretty well covered on an out to having four or five yards of separation against the linebacker. And that, I mean, it just feels like, like Colson Loveland is built different in this way. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like Colson Loveland is going to be Devin Funches, except he can block. Now he's never going to be a great blocker, but just in terms of like downfield ability, you know that Brock Bowers stuff that George is able to do, I think he can do that. And we saw a hint of that on that out and up. And I think that's going to be a key development, not for next year. I think he's going to make a big play in the game. <laughs> I think he's been blocking so much and he has that ability. I think he's going to be more athletic than the Ohio state linebackers. And I just feel like if you take a wrong step against him, it's over in a way that it wasn't for even like a Zach Gentry. Mm-hmm. Zach Gentry was huge and he went down the scene, but change of direction was not his thing. You know, Jake, Butt, same thing. Great receiver just didn't have that vibe where it's like, Oh, I'm also a jumbo wide receiver. Like you get from the truly elite tight ends. I think Colson Loveland can be that. 
and pretty soon. Uh, offensive line stuff. Uh, I already mentioned the two interior eyes. El Hadi continues to grade out as like a B plus Big Ten lineman already. As a like, redshirt freshman, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I mean, he's, there's probably 10 or 11 Big Ten schools he's already starting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't make mistakes very often. Still has some hiccups. Barnhart did get whipped for a sack by Garrett Nelson. Uh, so he had four pass pro minuses. He had a couple issues in the run game. He's still a solid player, but, you know, it could be a problem against Zach Harrison. So yeah. if Trent A. Jones is able to come back, I think that's a reason that they would put him in the lineup because this is, I think, the second or third week that he's been starting where he's had a number of pass row minuses, and that hasn't been really the case for Ryan Hayes on the opposite side. And Trent A. Jones had some issues earlier in the year, but they were mostly missed assignments, not... Uh, yeah, he has the athleticism like for it. Yeah, um, and then everybody wants to talk about how the passing game is terrible. No, no, not everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> let's I, go to a break. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I went over all of these plays, and I'm, I'm like, so I think there's good news in there, and that the balls are now pretty accurate. But there's bad news in that the uh, receivers are really not getting open. So there's that fade to Bell, and that's if Bell wins over the top, that's going to be right in stride. But he doesn't. He loses that route. And so you wish that Bell had won the route, one. Mm-hmm. And two, you want uh, <clears throat> you want JJ to see that the route is not one and throw the back shoulder. And I think Bell is clearly expecting it. He's looking back. He's, he's, he, like he the wants whole way to he's stop. looking back. Yeah, as soon as as soon as he realizes that he is not one over the top, he's like, okay, it's back shoulder time, and JJ just doesn't throw it. And this goes back to the issues with not putting it up for your receiver to go make a contested catch and trying to put it in the catch and run position all the time. It's not always the right play. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, ah, I mean, he came in for a low for JJ downfield success rate, but it was still sixty nine percent. Nice. Uh, and I just feel like a lot of these hiccups are low sample size issues, some misfortune. And then I kind of feel like Michigan's passing concepts have been the same for six months. I mean, six weeks Mm -hmm. and teams are really covering them. Like Michigan state was covering a lot of our concepts. Nebraska covered a lot of our concepts. And I feel like that's a cost that Michigan is suffering for the purpose of the Ohio state game, because I don't feel like they don't know what they're running and how to bust some guys open. We, we saw a couple things. We saw bell do the post corner, which was wide open. Mm-hmm. But if you look back and, and think about things like that, how many of those have we really seen this season where it's like, Oh, that's a great route combination that got a guy open. It's not really happened very much. So I think Michigan, is probably doing a lot of studying or their own tendencies and they don't want to break them until they absolutely have to break them. Now that might happen against Illinois some just because this is a real opponent and you need to respect them at least until you're up 21. If that does happen, but I just, there's so many times when I'm looking at JJ and I'm like, well, he's just kind of throwing this, but I don't know if he has a better option. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a concern. Like I do, I do wonder 
if this is sort of the flip side of the ground game, right? Where they're just they're repping this, repping this, repping this, repping this, and <clears throat> the precision which with, with which they have dominated the Big Ten on the ground is a precision that we pretty patently do not see in the passing game. And the big gap there might just be because they're focusing so heavily on the one that the other isn't really coming off. I mean, you see the same thing with Ohio State, right? Yeah. Like when when their season has gone along, their ground game has kind of bogged down, probably because it's the inverse issue. So and they're not using it. Well, well, and when they do use it, they don't have a lot of creativity with it. Right. I there's things though, like and and this is a, a thing that John Dewar was pointing out in his Twitter thread after the um, yeah, RIP Twitter, the the after the game where he was like, they're not really using the skills of their specific receivers that much. Like, yes, they use Roman Wilson to just run fast. Uh, Cornelius Johnson in particular, you know, they throw him balls that he has to adjust to, and that's never really been his strength, but he runs great routes. And, like, when's the last time he's run an option route where they just single that guy up on somebody and, you know, had him pick a side and the quarterback hits him and just that's, you know, using his feet and using his uh, his feel for, like, where the cornerback is, like, he's – shown that he can do that in the past and i don't think i've seen a double move from him in this whole year maybe yeah i mean that's a good point uh, i remember last year we started getting pretty hyped about him because he was selling indiana quarterbacks down the down the river on on double moves and mm-hmm. they had that they had the one play two minute drill against the mac team when he completely dusted someone on double yep. and it's just <clears throat> yeah i think that's part of it too but there's remember the there was that corner route to wilson right before the half and Wilson's running a corner out against the guy who's 12 yards off, mm-hmm. right? That's not going to work. That's right. That I, he's setting up there specifically <clears throat> to take that kind of to take anything right, deep away. So why why are I mean? There's 15 seconds left in the half because of the mismanagement of the clock. So I guess in that situation, it makes a little bit more sense. But to me, that's got to be like, all right, this guy's playing in the parking lot. It looks like man coverage. I got to sit down at 10 yards, and mm. that's what the play is. Um, but I mean, as I mentioned, like, I feel like if you reactivate JJ's legs in the ground game, you don't have to have a whole lot on the passing game, right? Yeah. You just need to, I mean, you don't need to take low percentage deep shots. You just move the chains, move the chains, move the chains, and you'll get your explosives because the defense is stretched so thin. So I think that's about it. All right. Uh, we'll do break and we'll do basketball. Uh, let's talk more about the football. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car, and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. 
Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom-printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle, whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Passion for e-commerce. Sell stuff online. Security. Performance. Conversion. Beautiful user experiences. Bella experience utilizator. Monthly marketing. PPC SEO. Make your user a customer. Conversion. Arte Perfume for online retailers. Love your website. Let Human Elements show you how. Available at human-element.com and find department stores, not find department stores. Welcome back to Emigro Radio 8.11. Is it 11? No, yeah, yeah, it's 10. 9, 10. I got it. Well, you I got start it right. with zero because you, you, you're the engineer who like starts us with like Emigro Radio zero before we do the first game. So otherwise, we'd be like exactly oh. in line with the number of games played. No, it is. It is. <laughs> but because we've played 10 games. Right. But then the podcast gets different because we don't skip it on the. Anyway, doesn't matter. Hey, Matt. <laughs> hey, how's it going, guys? Good to see you. Are you so listening Michigan, to music in there? What's going on? <laughs> Michigan plays its a tournament against a couple of low-level Power 5 teams. They beat the snot out of Pitt, and then last night against Arizona State, they suffer their worst loss since, uh, I believe, 2014, when the other team in Arizona really gave it to John Beeline. A very frustrating game where just pretty much from the drop, you're like, please make a shot. And then for them you're like please stop hitting that that's 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 profane you have to stop that uh and i think that there's a couple of things that really leap out other than the three-point shooting um <clears throat> michigan is 13 and 28 at the rim 
so under 50%. Arizona State is 10 of 20 away from the rim. So they did better on mid-range twos than Michigan did at the rim in this game. And there's a dunk about six, eight minutes in that Dickinson misses. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be this night. And that, it, it, it was. And, but who? how much of this is, is something that we need to take going forward? And how much of this is just Arizona State shooting out of its mind? They are not going to hit more than 50% of these threes again this year. And Michigan having a really off night. So the way I like to look at these sort of things is, given what we saw last night, what are the odds that, that set possessions in the way that they did out of 100 times in the future? And, and based on what I have saw in my extensive review, at least so far in the first half, Arizona scored 14 points at what I would call low EV shots that were either off the dribble pull-ups from three or from mid-range. And I don't know that they hit those same shots more than five out of 100 times. And, and on the other end of the court, as Brian you know alluded to, Dickinson missed a dunk. He had a few chippies there at, at the rim that he missed. We saw Buffkin miss two point blank layups at the rim. So I don't necessarily like to use the word luck, but I'll, I'll use variance. And it was a bad variance day for us. And when you miss at the rim and, you know, I, the college game is a lot different than the NBA, right? And, and the college game, generally, if you force somebody into an OTD jumper, that's that's a win for your defense. In the NBA, not so much because the guys that are taking those shots are basically all world's players. So what we saw is Arizona State have about, what, two or three guys that went all NBA on us last night, and that's not not typically something that you see at the college level. I think Nunez went NBA jam on us, uh, Cambridge and Horn, all three of those guys. Luther Muhammad Muhammad. (laughs) went off. I just took the play, and I think Seth and I discussed it a bit. I mean, Joey Baker literally blocked the shot, and the guy literally double clutches and makes the shot. I'm like – I mean, what, what are you going to do? And I know, you know, most fans are going to disagree and say, yeah, whatever. You guys are just making excuses. But honestly, I, I'm, I'm here to say that we're probably not as good as what we showed against Pitt, but we're definitely not as bad as what it seemed last night versus ASU. Yeah, I mean, there are some some real issues that Michigan is going to have to deal with uh, going down the line. And I mean, <clears throat> but I guess the thing that kind of stands out is aside from the shooting they, they won this game fairly decisively which I guess is a aside from the play misses Lincoln but offensive rebounds uh, they dominate offensive rebounds you know turnovers are uh, they're plus four on turnovers in that Arizona State had four more turnovers in them and in terms of just where the shots are coming from on the floor like Michigan has twice the number of attempts at the rim as Arizona State so just in terms of like everything else it felt like this was a, a pretty solid game and then they just can't hit anything and I, I, how how concerned are we about the fact that kobe buffkin is something like shooting 20 percent from three across about 53s now during his career like this is not something that was expected going in he was supposed to be a shooter he was a shooter in high school and just so far he absolutely cannot hit the broadside of a barn yeah, it's tough. So as you guys know, I always preach process over results. And it's tough with Buffkin because, you know, we have a, a decent sample, not a great one because he didn't play much last year. But I, I don't know that I've ever seen a bigger discrepancy between the process, which in this case, we're talking about Buffkin in terms of shot mechanics, which are which are great. I mean, the guy's on balance. He literally lands in the same place as his origin of elevation, which you, you very rarely see from a player at any level. The release point is high. And his misses are always right on line. Like, they're either short or long. They don't miss left or right, which is what you want to see. You know, I, I have to think that at some point they're going to they're gonna start going down because from a process standpoint 
and, and migrating, he's Michigan's best two-way player. He's our best point guard, whether you want to label him that or not. But it has to be a concern that, that he's not hitting shots. Like we saw him, uh, I think early on in the game, he had a, a shot off a DHO. There was a three. I'm like, all right, here it comes. It was great arc, all net. And then he just couldn't hit the catch and shoot threes later on in the game. Like I'm not, I'm not so worried about Baker. Like his shot looks so pure. Like he's going to be at least a 35% plus shooter. But yeah, I think it is a bigger concern for Llewellyn, uh, certainly Doug McDaniel and for, for, for Kobe Bufkin. We need those guys all somewhere in the mid thirties for, for Michigan to reach their ceiling. I mean, it's just tough because in this game, you see Dickinson, Williams, Bufkin, Llewellyn, and Baker combined to go 0 of 10 from three. And it's just tough to overcome. There's a 25-point margin, and there's a 21-point gap and just threes made. And I don't think there's a 21-point difference in the quality of threes that went no, up from either team. No way. No. I mean, it's just – really, this game comes down a, a lot of it. It's really just, you know, the old adage in the NBA, it's a make-or-miss league. I, I, yeah. I really think that's what you could take away from this game. And, I mean, it's just it's, – it's, I mean, look, Alex, who, who's on the pod right now, we, we, we discussed this a bit over Twitter – Look, there are some long-term issues in terms of perimeter agility. I think it'd be foolish not to to sort of address that. But but the shot making last night, at least, uh, I, I, I'm going to chalk that up to, to to variance. Yeah. So we do have a, a couple of interesting cameo appearances in this game. Isaiah Barnes came in, took a charge um, <clears throat> on a defensive possession where he uh, managed to get over a screen and then cut off a ball handler. He's he put up uh <laughs> almost put up a trillion. Uh, it got one defensive rebound, but because the charge doesn't make the box score. And then Jace Howard also gets six minutes and like one or both of those guys seems like they might have a role that kind of means something on this team. If, if they can just do anything offensively. So I'm generally not a big believer in individual plus minus for, for a, any given game. Right. But I'll throw a stat at you that sort of jived with the eye test when I was watching live and then again when I reviewed the film. In a game that Michigan lost by 25 points, Isaiah Barnes was plus four. That's uh, pretty pretty telling, you know, in that he was the only guy with a, with a positive plus minus in non-garbage time. You know, and I, I, I've been a big advocate since I, we saw him take a few, you know, nice defensive possessions against Bates. I, I think you got to find a way to get him in the rotation. This team... I think it's pretty fair to say they sorely lack, you know, perimeter agility. And let's face it, he has the physical tools to do things on the defensive end that just nobody else can do with that combination of size, agility, and strength. And he's showing it in the game. That That's really the reality of it. The narrative coming in was that he was a low-motor guy. Well, I have to be candid. I, I've seen anything but that. Like, he, out of all the guards in the wings, he may have the, a better motor than any of them. Well, yeah. if it's his way onto the court, and that's what yeah. – I, I wonder I mean, if maybe like if if Jet has a good shooting night because Jet's defense has a lot to be desired still and you know he's <laughs> I, when he's not with the ball is one of the tweets you has like and he's not with the ball he's terrible and that's most of the game he's not going to have the ball in his hands but maybe you can like ride Jet to a lead um, and then you know Barnes ideally could be that guy you bring in to shut the door. Well, yeah, so it's I'll go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I was going to say to ride Jet to a lead. I mean. Yeah, he's got to play both ends when he's out there. <laughs> I mean, look, look, let, let's be candid. Jet is a gifted offensive player. To be a freshman doing what he's doing, it's not just the shot making, right? The, the flashes of playmaking, they're brilliant for a freshman at that size. Like, his reads are pretty advanced for, for a young kid that's not really considered a ball handler. And 
it's difficult to sort of take that off the court when you have, you know, again, let's, you know, let's just call it what it is when Llewellyn and Doug are struggling a bit and, and you need to generate offense somewhere else. So it's difficult to take that off. But I, I think there has to be a balance that you have to sort of take that in tandem with what your objectives are defensively. And maybe you shift some matchups. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the thing because, you know, I, you have to love Jet offensively. I mean, how can you not? I mean, the guys, he looks great out there offensively. But, yeah, you're right. So that's right. Like, his defense needs to come a long way. And, uh, you know, I think you got to find a role for Barnes moving forward just because of what he brings at the, the defensive end of the court. I mean, where, where do those minutes come from? I imagine you still want Baker out there for 10 to 15 minutes. Like, we saw Buffkin get 25, Llewellyn 21, and Doug McDaniel 20 in this game. Does it come out of Doug McDaniel? I think it's fairly obvious. Yeah. And Brian's kind of leading me into this, that, that, you know, Kobe Buffkin has been Michigan's best on-ball playmaker, right? That's just the reality of it. his reads are better. He manipulates defense with his eyes to get open rollers, all that sort of thing. His, his reads have just been great. And, and the way that, that Doug and Jalen are struggling to make reads and, and I'll have some more about that later. I, I, I do think that you have to, get Barnes some minutes at their expense, even if it's only three or four minutes per guy. But yeah, the, the upside there defensively far outweighs anything hypothetically that Jalen and Doug are giving you offensively. And uh, you know, that's a pretty big lineup. And, and, and you're not giving away anything in terms of agility. Isaiah Barnes is far more agile than Jalen Llewellyn. That's just the truth. He, he is. And he's bigger. And from what we've seen, you know, at least in the summer and now, he's maybe a better shooter than Llewellyn. Well, I mean, Llewellyn is also off to a pretty awful start as a shooter yeah. <laughs> sorry but i mean he was 38 percent from three on 162 attempts last year so you got to imagine that that's going to bounce back somewhat especially because i mean he was a high usage guy on an ivy team he wasn't playing with hunter dickinson the overall quality of his look you would think has improved and he's still o of 11 on the season yeah no so i, I i'll remind everybody you know I'll, re, I'll remind our fan base that are all you know they they, they want to put the guillotine to, to Jalen right now that remember this time last year the same takes on Devonte jones right the same exact thing he started off very slow and by the time the ohio state game rolled around do we make the tournament without him like the guy single-handedly took us to the tournament with the road victory over ohio state it's like a, a, a memorable game from him so you know, it takes some time to get adjusted to one, the size, length, and athleticism of a high major conference. But then two, this is a completely different system than what he ran at Princeton. Like the Ivy League doesn't feature bigs like Hunter Dickinson. So the reads are going to be a lot different. The reads that he has to make, they're, they're, they're a lot different than what he was asked to do at Princeton. So it's going to take some time. But I do have confidence that, that he will come around. But in the meantime, you need to stack up some victories. Now, you know, this wasn't necessarily a bad loss. I mean, I don't know what, what Arizona state's going to end up, but it's a, you know, it's a neutral court game. It's a, it's a loss that you don't want that you, that you schedule and probably as a win, but it's not going to be horrendous. They're probably going to end up a KP top 100 team. So whatever the case may be, but you know, as we head towards conference play, I, I think that, you know, you have to find a wing stopper. We talked about this in our, our hoops preview that we have to find somebody that can do that because I think Brian, you mentioned this in one of the, uh, the basketball game previews, you know, you're just praying that the, the, the Eli Brooks curse doesn't continue. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> that's been the case so far, and we need to find a way to deter that. Yeah, I mean, in the preview for this game, I was like, this is a great team to play if you want to see how Michigan is defending mid-range jumpers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it was a tough one for, for mid-range jumpers, and I thought, you know, 
if you looked at a lot of those shots that Arizona State was hitting, independent of the results, you live with it. And you'd say, look, that's a process win for the yeah. defense. And it's it's demoralizing, right? Because you're looking at this like, how the heck are they hitting these shots? Like, I, I don't, Brian, you did the game preview. What were they shooting from three prior to this game? I mean, it was an abominable. It was ridiculous. Well, they were abominable last year, and they were they were average going in, but – it was like because Frankie hit four eleven in the first game, which you don't expect to repeat. Yeah, like, <clears throat> it's like a, a reverse scouting game. Everything that you see yeah. on film, just the reverse happens, and it's just it's tough to deal with, especially in tandem when you can't you can't hit shots at the rim and you're missing chippies. It's just it's tough. Yeah, I'm glad that that you have the same kind of take from the game that I did because I felt insane watching that game. I felt <laughs> like okay, so. I, when I'm watching the games live, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm I'm trying to watch them as a fan because it takes the joy out of it if you're trying to analyze it too much, right? You want to ride the emotion of the game, but then on rewatch, you get totally analytic. And I'm watching rewatch of this game, like, yeah, this is—I don't want to say a fluke because I don't want to discredit anything Arizona State did, but it's uh, certainly not something that I would deem sustainable. Yep. Uh, so Michigan has some some meatballs coming up, and then they have. Virginia, Kentucky, and UNC is their other high major opponents in the non-conference schedule. Not exactly a slate that looks conducive to victories here. So you got to try to get one of those games maybe, but uh, they really kind of put themselves in a corner here because they don't have like Marquette coming up. They don't have, you know, some team that's going to be an eight seed. They got some big, 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 big programs. I mean, Virginia is not actually expected to do that well in, in the ACC this year, but the analytics love them. So so I, I try to look at this from a macro view, right? So what's the one thing we could say without question is a weakness for Michigan? That's probably perimeter agility. I mean, it immediately pops out on, on, on the screen. No, I mean, I don't think anybody would deny that. So when you look at Virginia, you ask yourself, can we match up with them? Probably. They're not a team that's going to be filled with athletes. And I don't know if you guys caught the Kentucky game. Uh, you know, Sheway is the guy. Severe Wheeler does have some some chops there, but they're not somebody that would necessarily exploit Michigan's weakness to the extent Arizona State wouldn't. What's the other team we have coming in, Brian, that you UNC. mentioned? UNC. UNC, yeah. So that's a concern. Yeah, no, that's a, definitely a concern with uh, – what's the kid from uh, St. Louis? Caleb, uh, <clears throat> Caleb Love. Yeah, that's a, definitely going to be a big concern. A pull-up guy, and you're right. We need to string together one. If not – like, we have to win Virginia. Like, that's a home game. We need to – we need to win that game. I don't think there's any question. And I believe Kentucky is in London. You know, uh, she weighs a monster, but, you know, Dickinson's a big guy. And he's the one guy that if he can stay out of foul trouble, he can not only neutralize him, but perhaps get the better of him. But, yeah, when I watched them against Michigan State, I didn't necessarily think, like, okay, this is a team that's uh, that's unbeatable. But that said, they sort of go through this every year where they start off slow these days, and by the end of the year they, they look very good. So we'll see how it shakes out. But, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see – how things go in terms of different lineup combinations and and how Juwan approaches that sort of balance between offense and defense and what what kind of team he wants to be. But it's uh yeah, last night was not a <laughs> it was not a good one. It was a struggle. Yep. Uh, well, that's life. We're gonna take a break. Come back and talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I have like insurance and stuff, but I don't really like know what's going on with it. Yeah, you- it, your your coverage probably sucks. 
and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because I had a guy, uh, he's a, uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled for Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance and he was like, yeah, your coverage sucks and you're paying a lot more than you need to for it. I also like, I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games. Well, and I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually like reads them go blog? Well, how would I do that? They have a website? <laughs> they have one of those, too. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together, and you will save money on your insurance, and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto, and they do life, too. All right. So you're telling me if I Google Phil Klein insurance, this, this website will come up. Yes. Wonders never cease. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or app application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OG. Original geeks of programmable community. The most valuable thing you can do is to continue, continue being you. Environmental science and fucking with the clients of Welcome back to Abgo Radio 8.10. Uh, very awkwardly scheduled hockey segment to uh, get to here, but who's the uh, musician we were listening to? That was Legume, uh, Detroit-based, pretty chill. I don't know. I uh, put him on for work for a while, and I was like, this is pretty cool. And I was like, oh, he's from Detroit, <clears throat> so I just thought we'd feature him. All right, so we are in the middle of a series because it is a Thursday-Friday matchup against Minnesota, and Michigan was down six players, had to skate their third-string goalie, as uh, an emergency forward, 
Uh, and why would you do that? Oh, in case there's a bench minor, you can put him in the penalty box. <laughs> and that happens. <laughs> and that happens at the beginning of the third period because of a quote-unquote protocol violation that gets Michigan a uh, minor penalty. They already have a guy in the box. It's a five-on-three. Minnesota scores, and that takes a 3-2 game that's fairly competitive. I mean, Minnesota's clearly better, but Michigan's not being blown off the ice. To 4-2, 5-2 shortly after that. And just like, well, I mean... That's always the way that that game was likely to go. And you're down Fantilli, you're down Truscott, you're, you mean, you're down <clears throat> Holtz, and Holtz is in the ICU. Like, why? I mean, is there a credible case that they should not have played this game? Are you yeah, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't understand why they really did. Uh, I think that's, especially, I don't know what the situation is with Michigan, but if it's possible to just shift it back a few days, perhaps maybe you get a couple more players back. I don't know exactly the situation. I mean, obviously Holtz wouldn't be, but it also didn't help that they lose Ciccolini for a stretch of that game. And you're already skating down a couple forwards. And one of those forwards is the goalie. So (laughs) to lose another guy was, was problematic in that situation. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my only explanation is that because of what happened with Western and the GLI last year, that prevented them from being in a position where you could cancel a game and not be completely, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I think in a different world where you don't have the reputation, it might have been a bit different. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, you don't even know how healthy the guys who skated are. Like, I mean, I imagine some of those guys are, in the clear when they got tested, but also they're probably still recovering from whatever this was. We saw Portillo go out last weekend. Um, So this has been something that's been going around the team. I don't know how they've been practicing. I don't know how they've been doing. It just feels like you go into this game tonight and you're like, well, if they can get anything out of it, that's a huge win. And it's really disappointing because this was, this is one of like the glamor series in college hockey. This is Michigan versus Minnesota. I look forward to this series every year. And for it to be basically Michigan in a GLI situation is pretty disappointing. Yeah, I will say that entering the year, the sense kind of was that this was going to be the marquee week at Yost. And I'm not sure that's completely true because the Big Ten is a lot better than some had anticipated. Like, obviously, Minnesota, Michigan, this is a display a showcase moment for the conference to show off the players that are likely going to be in the NHL, which on that note was not a great showing for Logan Cooley. Uh, he should not have been able to play after the incident, but it he was had not two points a, after that. Yeah. <laughs> but the point being that outside of the NHL context, though, the thought coming into the year was like, oh, this is going to be the two teams at the top of the conference. And it, maybe it still will be, but we've seen enough, I think, at this point from Penn State to suggest that they are also in the hunt towards the top of the conference. And MSU is playing a lot better. Ohio State is still a competitor. Notre Dame looks like they're in a down year. And, and Wisconsin, we don't need to talk about. But there's a few there's a few more teams, I think, at the top of the league. And so, yes, this is still a big weekend to showcase the top-tier talent. But um, this is not a season where we can just say this was the one weekend at Yost that matters because they're all going to matter. This is a competitive, wide-open league. It <sighs> might be a four- Forbid league into the NCAAs. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I just like watching Michigan play Minnesota because it's not watching yeah. Michigan against a neutral zone trap all the time where it's like, this is, everybody's trying to skate, everybody's trying to score. You can't say that about Michigan State. I guess you can about Penn State, but Penn State's just been kind of down for the past couple of years. So, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I wish there was more analysis that could be had here other than like, it's good to have Adam Fantilli on your team and it's bad not to. That seems to be about the long and short of it. Well, and also, a... like, this was the, uh, you know, you talk about how the Big Ten's up. Like, at the end of the season, the Big Ten championship's going to matter <laughs> for playoff yep. purposes. And, you know, this was your chance to get Minnesota at Yoast, right? Like, I know home's not a huge deal in hockey, but it's a it's a deal. And, you know, you get this weekend. If you lose both games, that's why well, those games tonight's... are those games are at home. That's, yeah. I mean, like just from a personal, like I get to be in the arena perspective. It's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. <clears throat> it does oh. kind of feel like last year where you had the Olympic thing pop up, right? At the start of the season, everyone thought the NHLers were going to the Olympics and then mid season, it's like, Oh no, they're leaving. I mean, it's just, it's been these weird events that have happened to conspire to hamstring the roster, even though they didn't end up really getting impacted that much by the Olympic thing. But here you go again, right before the big weekend, it's like, Oh, well, all the players are sick now. And right. it's just, yeah. I don't know. Do you have a take on the Bob Motzko, um sign that was behind him? Were you following that last night? I, I saw that tweet. I thought that was excellent work by the children of Yoast. It's <laughs> he's Mr. Potato head or, it's Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty. Dumpty. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting yes. on the wall. He's, uh, I mean, they, they, they do good work over there. I enjoy the whiteboard guys more than I ever thought I would because they, they're actually pretty funny in a way that's like, oh, is that going to be? And then, no, they're pretty good. Because I was sitting in the student section way back in the day, and there was this guy who just kept yelling out stuff, and it was always terrible. Like there was an opposing player named Ham, and he was like, Ham, I want a piece of you. And I was like, <laughs> the, uh, the work. And the student section has improved since since the olden days, I guess in in the whiteboard category. Yeah, I would not <laughs> knock the two thousand to two thousand two student section. No, too no, bad no, no, there because yeah, that's yeah. that's true. It's just yeah. that one guy is yeah. no longer <laughs> no longer with us. But so they'll they'll go again tonight, and hopefully they can hang in it and get a bounce here or there. I do think it's nice to see Dylan Duke scoring the kind of goals that Dylan Duke can score, like volleying pucks out of the air with his stick that's i mean he had a def- couple deflections in this game that almost hit the back of the net too so he's, he's coming along that's nice all right see you guys see ya. <laughs> vodka, vodka makes it all night long she makes a ruska ruska vodka vodka singing this crazy song <laughs> Mayor and the land surveyor with plans of his.